And so as we begin this morning's message, the title of this morning's message is Grave Robbers. Everybody say Grave Robbers. Now, grave robbers are these. They're people who go to graveyards and dig up the grave and open the coffin and they pull all the stuff out that would be of value in the days of old. Now they take everything off the people before they put them in the graveyard. So don't go run around uh, digging for buried treasure. I'll say it like that. But they, they take everything off. But in the days of old, people would die and they would be buried with their possessions. And so you'd have people come by and they would dig up the graves and they would take the possessions out that were worth money and then they would go and become rich with the things that were in people's graves and so as we look at this today as you look at this plot over here and one may be yours and one may be somebody else's but as you look at them I want you to begin to look and what are you going to steal from the grave today because this is yours and if you go to the grave you should be left with absolutely nothing when you get buried I believe this with all my heart we should die empty that we poured out everything that we had right here on this earth, that when we get to heaven, we have not squandered one gift or one calling that God has given us, but we literally die, like Paul said, empty. I've been poured out like a drink offering. I've ran the race, I've kept the faith, I've finished it, and in the store for me is a crown of righteousness. And so as we began this series nine weeks ago, I began to think of it like this, and this is how I want you to begin to view your life in a lot of areas, that as you begin to view your life, it's a business principle that most businesses use, all successful businesses use them, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And so I want you to begin to think when you go home to be with the Lord, if he tarries and doesn't come, if you go home to be with the Lord, how do you want it to end? Not how do you want to die, but what is the, the end result that you want to see with your life at the end of your days? If you want to have a blessed family around you, if you want to have people that are come pouring and outpouring of love on you, if you want to have people who say he left a legacy that now we are obligated to rise up and carry on, if you want, how do you want to see it all come to a conclusion for your life? Because if you don't begin to get that image in your life now of ending with everything in place the way you want it to be, you'll never get there. You'll end and you'll still have giftings in your life that you never used. You'll still have callings in your heart that never stepped out. You'll still have things that God had wanted you to do here on this earth that you're going to go to the grave with. And so the grave's going to be robbing you instead of you robbing the grave. And it's time that we as the body of Christ do not let the grave take anything from us when we go and so as we begin I wanted to pray about this and as we talked about it um, a, a little bit before we even kicked off this series I began to pray God what is the end result what is the end result that you want this series to end with how do you want to see people over these nine weeks as we've gone through this series what do we want the final end conclusion to be we ended it with the free series on people being set free right we want to end this series with people knowing what they're called to do Finding their assignment, finding their ideal self, finding who God's called them to be so that they can go to the grave at the end of their life and saying, you got nothing on me. It's empty. And I've gave it all right here at, the, at, at, at my life. And God literally said this, Joel, I want people to be empty when they die. I want people to be empty when they die. I want them to pour it all out here on the field. And like if you've ever watched sports, one of the main things, if they're going into the, the, the final times or, or the overtimes, they always say this, leave it all on the field. Be left with nothing when we get off this field. Leave it all here. Because if you don't leave it all on the field, you're going to regret something later. And as God began to speak into my life, and he's began to speak into this series, he said, Joel, I want people to be empty. 
I want people to be empty and I don't want them to go to the grave with any hopes that they could have done. I don't want them to go to the grave with any dreams that they still have. I don't want them to go to the grave with any songs in their heart that they should have written. I don't want them to go to the grave with any books in their life that they should have wrote. I don't want them to go to the grave with any aspirations in their life of who they could have and should have become. I want them to reach it. I want them to achieve it. I want them to die empty knowing that they accomplished the full will of God for their life right here on this earth. Amen? And so this morning... I want you to die empty. I want you to leave this place as empty. And Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 9. And he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. You know, I I look at that scripture in amazement, and I love it. Because as a believer in in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll know when your season, if you've lived a full life in Him, you'll know when your season is coming. You'll know when your season is coming. And that's an amazing blessing. That's an amazing blessing because if you're living in the will of God, you'll know when your season's coming. And so you can finalize everything in your life and die empty. Paul was doing that right here. And so when you, if you know in your life when your season is coming, and you know as it's coming to an end, you'll be able to live fully and say, I've done everything that I've been called to do. I've done everything in my life that God has enabled me to do. And Paul goes on to say this, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. But not also to me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. So Paul's not just saying this is for him. He's saying it's for the body of Christ. But I struggle being in the body of Christ for this reason. Not that I struggle with my salvation, but I struggle being it because I see so many believers dying prematurely, not fulfilling the call of God on their life, and leaving way too many hopes, dreams, and visions that the grave has that the world should have been a part of. And I struggle with that as a Christian. I struggle with that. And so God began to put this burden in my heart. My assignment for my life is this. I exist. Joel T. Meyer exists. My purpose that I am here on this earth is to see the giftings, callings, hopes, and talents, and dreams in the lives of other people and call them forth and do everything in my power to get you to be where you're supposed to be in this life. That is my calling. That is what I'm here for. That's why I exist. So if you want to be left alone by your pastor, you're going to have to go to another church. (laughs) Come on. I'm not going to let you die under my supervision as your pastor in this church with hopes, dreams, callings, and visions still in your life. I'm going to call them forth, and we're going to get you to the ideal person God's called you to be. And that's why I want to talk to you about being, having faith activated and becoming all that God's called you to become because this is where we're at as the body of Christ. My first point this morning is this. I would rather die trying than, in, than, I would rather die trying than to die having never tried. I would rather die trying than die having never tried. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. To die trying, it means you're actually going to have to start doing something. You're going to have to start making something of your life even right here this morning. I don't care how old you are. Go back to college. Come on. It doesn't matter what, what day or season your life is in. If you're still here and you're still breathing, God's still got a plan for you. God's still got a hope for you. God's still got a purpose for you. And you better start trying because I'd rather die trying than to die having never tried. Because those people who die having never tried die old and bitter and upset and unfulfilled in life. But those people who step out and achieve and receive their calling and actually try to do it, they die fulfilled, they die happy, and they die complete in this earth but to do that some of you guys are going to have to get out of cautious living you're going to have to get out of cautious living 
Listen, cautious, careful living never moved mountains and never walked on water. Cautious and careful living never moved mountains and it never walked on water. Peter did not live cautious and he didn't live careful. He jumped out of the boat, but he walked on water. You must begin to not live cautious and not live careful concerning your Christian walk. You must, you must begin to challenge yourself and become all that you're called to become. Now, I want to I I clarify something on this. There's a problem with cautious and careful that the church has thrown up um, this standard that says, well, pastor, you know God says you must have wisdom in all that you do. Yes, I agree with that because wisdom is the way God operates. Wisdom is how God operates. And God in his infinite wisdom told Jesus to speak to the mountain and move it, told Jesus to get out of the boat and walk on the water, told Jesus to do the amazing and the miraculous. But we use wisdom as a cop-out saying, well, I got to use wisdom to not do it when God says, get in my wisdom and my operation and start doing it. Wisdom is how God operates. But we have used the term wisdom in the church as a mask for what we really need to call it. We're just scared and afraid. We're scared and afraid to step out and do something bold for the kingdom of God. We read about the greats of old. We read about Daniel in the lion's den. And we celebrate Daniel in the lion's den. And we get down to it, Daniel had a decision to make. I can be careful and cautious and say, wisdom and obey the king. Or I can live uncareful, uncautious in the wisdom of my God and truly trust in him and watch him deliver me from the mouths of the lions and the bears and everything else. So in your life, if you're using I must just be wise as a cop-out before you start tithing, wisdom is how God operates. So if you're using wisdom as a cop-out, you're not using wisdom. You're masking fear under the term wisdom, and you're lying to yourself. And it's time that we quit lying to ourselves. It's time that we quit deceiving ourselves. It's time that we become those men and women of God that we've always known are on the inside of us, but we've been too wise in our own eyes to step out and do. God is calling some people to operate in wisdom, and that is how God operates. So wisdom is going to step out in faith and begin to do the amazing things of God. So if we're worried about operating in wisdom, we must get the proper understanding of wisdom. And this is what God says about wisdom. Proverbs 23, 23 says this. says, by truth... By truth, now listen, I'm going to go ahead and flat out nail it to the wall. This is the only thing truth in the world. And, and I'm not going to back up from it, and I'm not going to second guess it, and I'm not going to question myself about it, because the word of God says, by God himself, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my word will stand forever. Amen. And listen, over the years, philosophies have changed, theologies have changed, doctrines have changed, but the word of God has been faithful and true. The Word of God has been the best-selling all-time book forever now, and the Word of God is still standing, and it hasn't been forsaken, and it hasn't fallen. In fact, when you'll build your life on it, you'll become strong just like it. And so this is the only thing truth in the whole world. And so God says this, buy truth and don't sell it. Because truth is way more, worth way more than the next job promotion. If you've got to forsake the truth in this Word to get a job promotion, He's saying buy truth and don't sell it out for a promotion. Don't sell out the truth for promotion. Listen to what he also says. He said, buy truth and don't sell it. He goes on to say this. Buy wisdom. Buy it. Some of y'all are so afraid to spend $10 on a Christian book, but you'll spend $30 on iTunes gift cards listening to all kinds of trash. Come on. It says buy wisdom. 
I pray that believers everywhere would start buying all the books that talk about the wisdom of God and how to operate in it and the ones that line up with God. And you would start reading your ever-loving eyeballs out because you bought wisdom and you bought it not just with your money, you bought it with your life and your time and your energy and everything that comes with it. It says buy it. That means it's going to cost you something. But listen, if you got it for free, you really didn't value it that much. You know the kids who get the brand new cars for free when they turn 16? And the kids who had to work their butt off for it when they turned 16? Big difference. Big difference. It says buy it. It says it's going to cost you something to get it. To find out how God operates, you're going to have to buy this thing. You're going to have to invest your life into it. It may cost you some money to go to a conference for three days and you spend your vacation at a believer's conference rather than going to the beach. And that's tough for me to say. (laughs) That's real tough for me to say. God, you can speak to me on the beach just like you can there. But yeah, Joel, you don't listen to me when you're on your beach. You're too busy playing in the water. Buy it. It says buy truth. Buy wisdom. Get understanding. Get it all. We need to start beginning to buy, invest, use our life, our time. Listen, a lot lot of people look at me and, and, and if something costs a certain amount of money or something costs a certain amount of time, I will spend more money if it costs me less time because my time is worth way more than my money. This is why I don't change my own oil because what they can do in 10 minutes, it would take me three hours and I've just squandered three hours of my life for something somebody can professionally do way better than I could and I have confidence in them and not me in that area. (laughs) Buy it, buy truth, buy wisdom. Some other Proverbs say, though it costs you everything you got, get it. Because if it costs you everything you got, the repercussions or the payoff of it is gonna be way more than you ever had. The payoff is gonna be way more than you ever had. I'd rather die trying than dying having never tried. So now we're getting to the point of you know you're at a point where you got to make a decision. you got to access something. you got to begin to do something. And this next point is going to sound rude, but let me explain it before you jump all over me and walk out of the sanctuary. It's called shut up and grow, do it. Because here's the thing. Sometimes God gives us a promise, not the answer. Sometimes God gives us a promise, not the answer. And if you're so focused on getting the answer and you miss the promise, you're missing the bigger picture. And so what we got to learn to do is remember last week when I was over here fighting God, these four men that literally carried me off to the side. I was fighting God and trying to go my own way. And I said, how do two people agree, go together unless they agree to do so? Do, Do we remember that? And so what I mean by shut up is quit arguing with God. When he gave you a promise, instead of your answer, Quit complaining that the money didn't come in when he gave you a promise instead because a promise is way more valuable than the answer ever would have been. Because here's the thing about a promise. A promise does three things in your life. It forces us to grow, it it challenges us to change, and it develops our abilities. A promise does these three things in our life. It forces us to grow, it makes us break out of the rut we're in in this life. A promise forces us to grow. It forces us to grow because, Jake, if a promise forces us to grow, this is literally what a promise does. It says, here's where you're at. Here's where your need is. God said, I've given you a promise, but the answer's here, not here. It forces Joel T. Meyer to change his lifestyle to line up with what God is doing to get me to where God wants me to be. It forces me to get out of the rut of my life. And a rut is simply this. It's a grave with both ends knocked out. Because you're just waiting until you reach the end of that rut and then it's going to cave in all over you. 
So a promise, it forces Joel T. Meyer to grow. It forces Joel T. Meyer to trust in God who is faithful, whose word will never pass away, that even though I'm here and his promise is here, then it's God's obligation as long as I put out effort to seek him to get me from my problem to his promise. And it's forcing me to grow. It's forcing me to change. And I love this next part. It challenges us to change. It challenges us to change. The, tr- the, the promise makes us Make the tough decisions explode, that will expose the weaknesses in your life. The promise makes us make tough decisions that challenge us to change. If God's promise is, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and my needs aren't being met, and I begin to realize God gave me this problem, promise in the midst of my problem, it changes my focus, it gets me out of the rut, it, focus, it, it challenges me to change or challenges me to grow. And then it challenges us to change my lifestyle. And that's what we don't like. I don't want to go to a different um, convenience store to get my coffee. I like the one I go to that's got the creamer that I like that I can pass on my way to work. Right? We're creatures of habit. So challenging us to change challenges our lifestyle. It challenges our daily habits. It challenges our daily routines. It challenges the daily thing in us. But I realize this. The day I ever quit changing is the day I start dying. And that becomes a problem because most people get at a comfortable place in the body of Christ or in the church that they're in or in the seat that they're in and begin to get planted there and never change. But any tree that's not growing is dying. Any human that's not changing is dying. Anything that isn't consistently understanding change in his life is already on the downhill slide. And it doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90. And when you quit changing, you start dying. But have you ever noticed when you implement a firm decision that you're going to change, there's new life invigorated inside of you. There's a challenge that's coming forth again. You've got to go deeper than you've ever gone. You've got to go harder than you've ever gone. And I love the season that we were just in in Texas where there wasn't a lot of rain. And some of y'all are saying, why did you love that? I didn't love the drought, but I love the analogy that it gives. Strong trees in the midst of drought have roots that grow deeper because of the challenge that they're facing. You need to be a tree that in the dry seasons of your life, your roots begin to grow deeper because of the challenges, not one that shrivels up and die because there's no water. So it, 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 it forces us to grow, it challenges us to change, and this is the part I love, it develops our abilities. It develops our abilities. And as it develops our abilities, it's challenging us, growing us, changing us to when we get to the promise to handle the benefits of the promise. See, some of y'all miss that. It's developing your abilities so as you grow and get to the promise, you can handle the promise. See, a lot of people say, oh, God, just meet all my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if God made you debt-free today, you'd be back in credit card debt in one month because you didn't develop your abilities. God may strategically lead you out of debt to develop your abilities on how to steward money so when you actually got money, you know what to do with it. See, some of y'all don't know what to do with nothing, so how do you expect to know what to do with something? You're broke all the time now, and you don't know how to handle being broke. How are you going to handle money? Does that make sense? The promise develops our abilities. It develops on the inside of Joel how to become the pastor in the next season that he's coming into in the church. How we get to this vision to the next level. It didn't just happen overnight. And people say, Joel, how did you get the church from where it was to where it's at now? And I just say this, I was too dumb to quit. Seriously, I was too dumb to quit. I had this naive faith, and I still got it, and I still love it, and my wife still makes fun of me for it, and I don't care. Come on. I have this naive faith 
that I actually believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do. It doesn't matter how big the impossibility looks like. And so if God's got me here in Sulphur Springs, I believe he's going to do exponentially, abundantly, above and beyond anything Joel could ever ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within me right here in Hopkins County. And that's why God is going to change this four-state area because he's going to do it. And he's going to do it right here because he promised he would. So I better get ready and he's developing me in the process of it. Amen, come on. Now get this. I believe so much in this aspect that I just said. Uh, focus, focus, uh, forces us to grow, challenges us to change, and develops our abilities. I believe so much in this that I believe every two years you should have a new pastor. Not that I need to be a di- not that you need another man up here, but I should have grown so much and developed so much in my abilities, in my giftings, in my callings in two years that I don't even look like the same person who was pastoring this church two years ago. I believe in changing and growing that much. I believe in buying wisdom that much. I believe in buying instruction and truth that much that every two years, I believe you should look back and say, Joel is nowhere close to the man he was then. He is so much more. And if you don't want a pastor that's growing, that means you're not willing to change either. And it's time for us to embrace this change that we have that God's doing. So sometimes God gives us a promise and not the answer. And here's why. Because we want the answer to a problem, God wants us to know the principle and the concept so we'll always have the solution. See, we want the answer to a problem. We want our electric bill paid. That's the answer to a problem. But God says, I want to teach you the principle of tithing, sowing, and reaping so that you now have the solution and the principle to the concept and you'll always know the solution to the problem. Because it doesn't matter if it's a $10 uh, bill that's got to be paid or a $10,000 bill that's got to be paid or a $300,000 church note that's going to be debt-free at the end of this year. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. It doesn't matter how big it is. God says, if I can teach you the principle and the concept, it'll give you a solution that you'll always have the answer. It doesn't matter if the debt's 10, 10,000, or 300,000. God wants to give you a promise more than the answer because a promise, it forces us to grow. It challenges us to change, and it develops our ability. That's why I said shut up and grow, do it. Grow into it. Grow, do it. Develop your abilities. Finally, I'll close with this, and it's die empty. And I've said this several times this morning. Unless Jesus returns, this is where we're all going to end up. And you know, I don't even know where I'm going to be buried, and I could care less where I'm going to be buried. And I've told my wife this. You don't even have to get a big casket. Just get a wooden box and put me somewhere, because when I'm gone, I'm dying empty. There's going to be nothing for you to see. If you want to see me, come see me now burning and flaming here because there's not going to be a flame there. Come on. I want to be able, the day before I die, look at my graveyard plot and laugh and say, graveyard, you're getting nothing out of me, baby. Because I grew, I developed, I changed, I left my gifts, I left my callings, I left my aspirations, I laid my hands on my kids before I died and left a blessing on their life. And devil, they're going to grow and prosper and have ministries twice the size that I ever dreamed about. And I'm leaving it all here on the field, baby. I'm going to die empty. And if I die any other way, you better raise me from the dead and say you didn't finish right. See, the funny thing is, you're laughing. Me and my mom got this agreement. We got this agreement. And, and here's the thing. Me and my mom got some crazy agreements. Some of the agreements we have is if I ever start talking negative, you can call me out and tell me to shut my mouth. And we got the same agreement. Another one is this. If I die before my time, you better find somebody to raise me from the dead or you better do it because I'm not dying empty. And she said, you better do the same thing for me. And I said, I expect her to live another 50, 60 years. Amen. I mean, come on. 
We got some crazy agreements, and they may seem funny to the world, but I'm telling you, I'm not dying with something left in me. I'm going to give it all to the kingdom of God. If I'm going to die like that, what's got to change today? What's got to change today? This is a, a staggering stat that I found. If the end is going to come, and I want this to be my end outcome, that I die empty, if that needs to be my output, then my input needs to change. If that's going to be my output, if that's going to be the sum total of my life, if that's going to be what my life represents, giving it all on the line, it bringing forth people's gifts, talents, and abilities, and me leaving all that I've been gifted with here on this earth, if I'm going to do that, if that's going to be my output, my end source, my output, my input must change. I want to read you a, a crazy stat. There are 1,500 magazines, 1,100, 1, I'm sorry, there's 1,500 newspapers, 1,100 magazines, 9,000 radio stations, 1,500 TV stations, 2,400 publishers owned by six corporations and 272 executives that control 90% of how 277 million Americans get input. Talk all you want, CNN versus Fox News versus this versus that. It's controlled by six corporations 272 executives and 277 million Americans are contingent on their input by what these six corporations say. And if I want my input to be, if I want my output to be way greater than I've ever had it before, if I want to die empty and leave everything that I have here on the line, then my input must change. My input must change. My source of input must change. And what does that mean? It means I need to spend more time studying how Moses lived his life. I need to spend a little bit more time to see how Moses did it because the Bible says Moses went over on another mountain and he was gone. He died and nobody even knows where he died. I need to be studying kind of like Elijah who went up to heaven on a chariot of fire. I want to die empty. I want to leave it all. And when I'm dying, I drop my mantle on a church or, a or somebody and they go with double portion of what I had. If I'm going to die empty, I need to be studying the likes of Jesus Christ who gave it all for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. When he was nailed up here, he said, it is finished. And when he was declaring finished, he wasn't saying his life was done. He's saying, I've completed the old covenant. I'm establishing a new and greater covenant. Devil, you've lost. Grave, you're empty. I took the keys to death, hell in the grave, and it's finished. I'm empty. Heaven's going to be full now, and we're going to watch God do an amazing work in our life. Amen? Woo. I'm more fired up about this message than I've been about messaging along. Because when I start thinking about the end of my days, and they're getting closer all the time, not that it's happening soon. But I am pushing the 40 mark halfway through my life. Well, I, actually, I'll say like I'm pushing the 40 mark a third of the way through my life. A third of the way through my life. And I look at what God's used me for and I, and I praise God for it. But I look at God and I say, God, we've got a long way to go in the next 80 years, buddy. I'm talking a long way to go to fulfill all the callings and dreams and desires that's in this little body right here. Oh, God, we've got to get some work done. And God in the past month has put a sense of urgency in my life to start developing at a rapid rate. I'm talking a growth rate that I've never been on in my own personal spiritual walk. I'm not talking for you. I'm testifying about what God's telling me for my life. He said, Joel, I'm going to force you to grow. I'm going to challenge you to change. And I'm going to develop your abilities because what I need done in this four-state area has not been done yet, but I need somebody who's going to rise up and do it. And will you be the one who will accept this challenge? And I said, come on, let's do this thing. God, because number one, you know I'm too dumb to quit. <laughs> And number two, you know I'm going to believe you to the end. And I would rather die trying than to die having never tried. 